Leviticus chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 to verse 13. Last week we heard a sermon on Leviticus chapter 4 and the sin offering. And the sin offering was for unintentional sins. I want to pick up on that theme here this evening. Leviticus chapter 5 can be found on page 99 in the Pew Bible. Let us now hear God's word. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb, or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck and shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it, as its memorial portion, and burn this on the altar, on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest, as in the grain offering. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us ask his blessing in a time of prayer. O Father in heaven, We ask, Father, that you would open our hearts to receive your word. Help us to see the connection here to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the sin offering. We pray, O Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to not only understand and believe, but to walk in Christ. Teach us, O Lord, we pray from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
During the Touch of Dutch festival a few weeks back, Emmanuel had the opportunity to set up a booth there, and it's an opportunity for Emmanuel to reach out to the community there and have opportunity to talk one-on-one or with groups of people about uh, the gospel, about church, and, or just listen to them, hear their hurts and needs, what they're going through. There are also times where we have opportunity to recommend mini-books, like the mini-books we have in the narthex um, in the back of the sanctuary there. We had available, I think, about 35 different titles, 35 different kinds of mini-books for the public. And after we looked at all the books that were taken, about 98 of them were taken during one day. And the top books that were taken, interestingly, were anxiety, hurt, and feeling guilty. I thought the third one was interesting. Feeling guilty, finding grace for your mistakes. That was one of the top books that was taken during the touch of Dutch. The guilty want peace in mind. When you feel guilty, when I feel guilty about something that is done, you want peace of mind. You want to know that all is well, that the enmity between two parties has been dissipated, gone, forgiven, moved on, and that the two parties are reconciled. Every human being feels guilty of some mistake or careless act. And the feeling of guilt indicates a moral standard, doesn't it? Otherwise, why do you feel guilty? It indicates a moral standard by which every human being will be held accountable. Even the atheists experience guilt. Why? How do they account for guilt if there's no God and no moral absolutes? Where does guilt come from then? Every human being experiences guilt and wants peace of mind. In chapters 4 and 5 of Leviticus, we notice there that there are sins of unintention, sins of ignorance, careless acts, and a sin offering is needed to atone for unintentional, careless, ignorant acts. First, there's a knowledge of the sin. It has to be made known to the sinner. And then the sinner, when he acknowledges his sin, realizes his guilt because he transgressed the standard. And then they bring the sin offering for atonement, forgiveness. We've heard a lot about atonement the past few weeks as we've looked through the sacrificial laws. Atonement being that propitiation, that atoning sacrifice of blood, the satisfying of God's wrath upon a sinner. That satisfaction was done and accomplished through an animal, a substitute 
But there's also another aspect to forgiveness, and that's expiation. An expiatory sacrifice that needs to be made. And expiation is the removal of guilt. See, for sins to be forgiven full and free, there needs to be a debt paid, and there needs to be a removal of guilt so that there's reconciliation between God and man. There needs to be compensation, as we heard in our text. The priest makes atonement for the worshiper of the sinner and accepts the offering when it's offered on God's terms, and he grants forgiveness which includes reconciliation, justification, being declared right with God, and no guilt. No guilt in life, no guilt in death because of the blood sacrifice. Tonight we continue the sin offering looking at the payment for the guilt penalty translated here, or uh, translated compensation Tonight we learn that we not only need forgiveness of sins, but also part of that being the removal of our guilt, expiation. So let's first look at the sinner who brings guilt upon himself. The sinner brings guilt upon himself. And chapters 4 and 5 focus on primarily these unintentional sins. And to get a better understanding of unintentional sins and intentional sins, I want to draw our attention to Numbers chapter 15. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 15. Beginning at verse 22, But if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses, from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then if it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the rule, and one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel, and they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake and they have brought their offering, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven, and the stranger who sojourns among them, because the whole population was involved in the mistake. If anyone sins unintentionally, verse 27, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord, for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel, and for the, so, uh, the stranger who sojourns among them. Now listen, but the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandments, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. High hand, intentional, deceptive. He knows what he is doing. He is not ignorant. 
He knows his offense. As we saw last week, the unintentional sin has three characteristics to it. The unintentional sin is ignorance of God's will or carelessness. It's not a deliberate hostile act toward God or against God, but they are still worthy of condemnation. An unintentional sin is still a sin against God's word, and all sinners are held accountable. All sinners are counted guilty before God because the sinner brings guilt upon himself even unintentionally. Now I want to kind of continue on from what I talked about last week concerning these three points. Think about the first one in that unintentional sin is ignorance of God's will or carelessness. Think about the Jews in the New Testament era when Jesus Christ came. When they acted ignorantly, even the apostles talk about that that they crucified the Lord of glory in ignorance. The Gentiles who do not practice righteousness because they do not know God, they are careless and ignorant. It's not a deliberate, hostile act against God. In fact, we see this in Acts chapter 3. Peter proclaims the crucified and risen Lord to the Jews and says that they acted ignorantly. Think about what Jesus Christ says on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they what? Know not what they do. It's interesting that the religious leaders and Jews, the ones who handed him over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified, were acting in ignorance and hatred toward the Christ, thinking that they were doing a service to God. They thought they were doing a service to God. Paul was persecuting Christians because he thought he was doing a service to God. Even in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about how he was a blasphemer, how the Lord had mercy upon him and his ignorance. But all of it, unintentional or intentional, all sin will be held to account. Every human being is guilty of unintentional sin. And in our text here in Leviticus 5, there are three examples However, some interpreters believe that the first example seems to indicate an intentional sin. But at closer look, it doesn't look like the first example is one of a high-handed person despising the Lord. Look with me in your Bible at verse 1. A person, if anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify... And though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. In other words, someone who has knowledge of another person who gave an oath, and a judge said, we're going to come together and have a public hearing, and we're going to bring in witnesses, and you're going to tell the truth on the matter. 
And a person comes who has knowledge of the situation, but he omits certain truths, certain parts of the story of the person's witness. He didn't tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. He didn't tell the whole truth. He told part of it. Well, what do we learn? What do we learn from the law? God's law says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And expounding upon that law is speaking the whole truth. Swearing before the judge and saying, I'm going to tell the whole truth, so help me God. And not leave anything out. This person is still held accountable because he did not tell the whole matter. This seems like an intentional, presumptuous sin. However, it's not that clear because he isn't lying to a judge about the matter. In his mind, he's not bearing false witness. The command, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor in redemptive history is expounded. This law is made more fully known to the people of God, but it seems to be unknown to the person at the time. This person, however, though he didn't tell the whole truth, is still one who bears his iniquity. He is Guilty, he brings guilt upon himself. And then in verses, verses 2 and 3, there's another example that describes a person who touches any unclean thing. And he comes to know his uncleanness and sin and realizes his guilt. Or he touches an unclean person. I want you to think about for a moment in the Gospels, Think about the Good Samaritan story when the religious leaders passed by the injured man. Do you think perhaps that they had this text in mind? I, I can't help this person because I, can't, I would be ceremonially unclean. In a case where a person's life is at risk, save his life even if it means being ceremonial, ceremonially unclean because there's the way to atonement. Jesus Christ came in mercy and fulfilled the law, the ceremonial laws. The religious leaders didn't show compassion to the man beaten on the road to Jericho because they were afraid to sin against God's law. Those are examples of intentional sins here. And then verse 4, Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these. Listen, friends, we say things all the time. We make promises all the time. Unconsciously, we make promises. One could say, how can he make an oath and not know it? We've seen in Leviticus 4 and 5 the complexity of sin 
the messiness of sin and how sin is so embedded in human nature. And how we forget God's law, forget God's way. We do things out of ignorance and carelessness. And that brings guilt upon us, sinners. Remember again that unintentional sins or high-handed sins are committed out of deception and malice toward God and neighbor. As we saw in Numbers chapter 15, the person who knows God's law and intentionally and deliberately denies Him and hates Him and rejects Him. just give you an example based on the teaching of the Bible on intentional and unintentional sins. Can disobedience be intentional or unintentional? Let me just use an example of a speed limit. The speed limit. I still don't know the speed limit on this road here. I don't know the speed limit on most roads in the <laughs> I wish they had more speed limit signs. I was driving in Lowell. Went from a 50, or 35 to a 55, or no, 55 to a 35. Had no clue. Was I intentionally trying to deceive the governing authorities by going over the speed limit? Was I being deliberate, intentional, high-handed? No. There are some who see the speed limit and say, pedal to the metal. Put the pedal to the floor, we're gone. Either way though, right? Either way, a cop will pull me over even though I plead ignorance <laughs> and carelessness. I'm still guilty and worthy of a ticket. The point is that whether it's intentional or unintentional, the sinner brings guilt upon himself. And the removal of guilt demands compensation. Look with me in your Bible. Verse 6, He shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. When a person does something that ought not to be done and he realizes his guilt and the sin was made known to him, how is it made known? It's made known through revelation, through a knowledge of the truth. And God requires compensation. That is payment for restitution. Pay the penalty. The guilt penalty literally he shall bring to the Lord as his guilt penalty. You'll see that in the footnote there in your Bible. Requires a payment in blood. He shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for his sin. The animal becomes a sinner's substitute, 
and it's a sacrifice in the blood of the animal that not only pays the penalty of sin, but also removes the guilt and reconciles the sinner to God. So that there's peace with God. You see the many components to the atonement of, of Christ foreshadowed here in the Old Testament as we've been looking at it for the past number of weeks. Verses 7 and verse 11. Verse 7 and verse 11. Notice, but if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons. One for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Think about how God cares for the poor and providing atonement for the poor. Those who can't afford it. I mentioned this morning, Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she gave birth, she had to be ceremonially cleansed and she had to bring two turtle doves to the priest for cleansing after her giving birth. Why? Because she's poor and the law of Moses says if you're poor, that is what you can bring. But it goes a step further. If you're poorer, and you can't afford a lamb, you can't afford two turtle doves even, then you can bring a tenth of an ephah of fine flour. That's one day's meal of bread. One day. Keep that in mind. Verse 11, look with me in your Bible. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons... Then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for his sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it for it is a sin offering. You remember the grain offering? What did they put on it? Smothered with oil, cooked with oil, 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 symbolizing the joy of the Spirit, joy. And frankincense was to be sprinkled on it as it was placed on the altar of the Lord. Symbolizing praise of prayer. Praise and prayer. Well, here the command is don't put any oil on it. Don't put any frankincense on it because it is a sin offering. And a sin offering is not worthy of oil and frankincense. Remember the ugliness of sin here. How in chapter 4 we saw how the whole, the, the rest of the animal was taken outside the camp and the whole, the rest of the animal had to perish outside the camp in a clean place. It had to be utterly destroyed because it's a sin offering. To remove guilt, the poorest of the poor can bring a sin offering of fine flour. How can God permit an ephah of fine flour and not the shedding of blood? That was the question I asked myself when I was reading this text and studying it. For compensation, 
God requires blood. Why does He permit this? And I came across a helpful quote from a commentator who says this. Listen carefully. Thus it was ordained that if, in the nature of the case, this sin offering could not set forth the sacrifice of life by means of the shedding of blood, it should at least point in the same direction by requiring that the support of life for one day shall be given up as forfeited by sin. Tenth of an ephah, a day's food. Giving up one's life in terms of food that sustains the body. God is concerned about all His people. All His people. And He made provisions for the rich and the poor to atone for sins. To provide the removal of guilt through the sacrifice. But the sacrifice foreshadows the greater sin offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we continue Lord's Day 6 in that, that question and answer. The Holy Gospel points to the Redeemer and Mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, that was first foreshadowed in the Old Testament in its ceremonies and sacrifices. The sin offering is fulfilled in Christ. Thoroughly, the compensation has been permanently paid in full by the blood of Jesus. Permanently paid for. Guilt permanently removed. Pardon permanently accomplished. Salvation, forgiveness permanently provided. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through Jesus and His shed blood where He reconciled God and man. The guilt is removed and the enmity is gone permanently. We can't miss, I've been saying this over and over again the past several weeks, we cannot miss the grace of God in these sacrifices. And we certainly cannot miss the grace of God in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, and the sin offering. But we cannot miss the love of God. We cannot miss the love of God. Congregation, God doesn't love us because atonement and the removal of guilt has been made. No, atonement and the removal of guilt has been made because God first loved us. In eternity past, 
in eternity past. God doesn't love us because atonement and the removal of guilt has been made. On the contrary, the sin offering of our Lord Jesus Christ has been made because God loves us. You following me? You following me? Think about that profound verse in Romans 5.8. I quote it often. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ became our substitute who took our guilt upon himself. His payment brings peace of mind to the sinner because he reconciles us to the Father. And it is the Spirit of the living God who brings that knowledge of sin, that conviction of sin. And brings us to repentance and faith in Him. I want you to turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Quoted a lot from it last week. I'm going to do it again this evening. Just a few passages here. Beginning at verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly in, into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered and cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Did you hear that? Cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But then verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tents, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. 
The compensation has been permanently paid in full by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, as a result of that, God's people do not live in guilt. But rather we have peace with God. The promise of the New Testament of the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, the new covenant promise has come to fulfillment when the Spirit has been placed in our hearts and God's law has been placed in our hearts to know Him, love Him, and serve Him. But then, interestingly, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, he teaches the fulfillment of the sin and guilt offering in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also teaches the peril of intentional sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, or verse 26, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. An intentional despising of the one sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a serious, serious sin. And the author of Hebrews warns us continuously to persevere in the confession of faith that we have received once for all delivered to the saints. Because we enter the holy place in confidence by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way opened for us through His flesh, His body. And lastly, this compensation has been permanently paid in full by the blood of Jesus. And this sin offering was not to be partaken of by the priests. They had no right to eat. But in Hebrews chapter 13, listen what he says. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to to eat. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to, to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. And Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And even in the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the eating and drinking in faith in the once-for-all sin offering in Christ. Because Jesus indeed paid it all. Do you doubt this, Christian? Do you question 
Young people, do you question the sacrifice of Christ and His love for His sheep? God's Word unequivocally teaches us without a doubt that His sacrifice is once for all. It is permanent. And you can know and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. I dare to say that there are some people here, perhaps, that question, that doubt, that wonder, could this really be for me? Did He really do it for me? Does this really apply to me? I'm too bad to be forgiven. He can't forgive me of sin A or sin B. When we come to Him in faith, moved by the Spirit of God to call upon His name and seek His forgiving mercy and love, when we say, have mercy upon me, a sinner, O Lord, Jesus does not turn his face from us. He welcomes us. And he loves us. Despite all of our sin and iniquity, despite of all of our careless acts and mistakes, he loves us. He is the sin offering. He is the sin offering. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain, for me who Him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That the Son of God and Son of Man to take my guilt upon himself. Really? Really? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in his righteousness divine. Behold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. No condemnation, no guilt. You're cleansed, forgiven, free. Praise Him, worship Him, give thanks to Him. Like the burnt offering symbolized, give Him your all as living sacrifices. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are so thankful that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial and ceremonial laws. Jesus 
is the main subject of your word, the object of our faith, our all in all. May you comfort those who doubt. May you grant grace to those who question. May you, O Lord, turn hearts to yourself. And may we, O Lord, in response to such a great salvation, give you praise and adoration. May we, in response to your great salvation, live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable in your sight. We thank you, O Lord, that if we confess our sins, you are indeed faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness because of the one sacrifice of Christ that purifies us with His blood. Oh, Father, help us to look to no other. Help us look to not to ourselves or to anything or anyone, but to Jesus alone for the removal of guilt and the forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' name.